Now Naomi had a relative of her husband's, a worthy man of the clan of Elimelech, whose name was Boaz. And Ruth the Moabite said to Naomi, Let me go to the field and glean among the ears of grain after him, in whose sight I shall find favor. And she said to her, Go, my daughter. So she set out and went and gleaned in the field after the reapers, and she happened to come to the part of the field belonging to Boaz, who was of the clan of Elimelech. And behold, Boaz came from Bethlehem. And he said to the reapers, The Lord be with you. And they answered, The Lord bless you. Then Boaz said to his young man who was in charge of the reapers, Whose young woman is this? And the servant who was in charge of the reapers answered, She is the young Moabite woman who came back with Naomi from the country of Moab. She said, Please let me glean and gather among the sheaves after the reapers. So she came, and she has continued from early morning until now, except for a short rest. Then Boaz said to Ruth, Now listen, my daughter, do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close to my young women. Let your eyes be on the field that they are reaping, and go after them. Have I not charged the young men not to touch you? And when you are thirsty, go to the vessels and drink what the young men have drawn. Then she fell on her face, bowing to the ground, and said to him, Why have I found favor in your eyes that you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner? But Boaz answered her, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me, and how you left your father and mother in your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done, and a full reward be given to you by the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Then she said, I have found favor in your eyes, my Lord, for you have comforted me and spoken kindly to your servant, though I am not one of your servants. And at mealtime Boaz said to her, Come here and eat some bread and dip your morsel in the wine. So she sat beside the reapers, and he passed to her roasted grain, and she ate until she was satisfied, and she had some left over. When she rose to glean, Boaz instructed his young men, saying, Let her glean even among the sheaves, and do not reproach her, and also pull out some from the bundles for her, and leave it to her to glean, and do not rebuke her. So she gleaned in the field until evening. Then she beat out what she had gleaned, and it was about an epach of barley. And she took it up and went into the city. Her mother-in-law saw what she had gleaned. She also brought out and gave her what food she had left over after being satisfied. And her mother-in-law said to her, Where did you glean today, and where have you worked? Blessed be the man who took notice of you. So she told her mother-in-law with whom she had worked and said, The man's name with whom I work today is Boaz. And Naomi said to her daughter-in-law, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. Naomi also said to her, The man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. And Ruth the Moabite said, Besides, he said to me, You shall keep close to my my young men until they have finished all my harvest. And Naomi said to Ruth, her daughter-in-law, It is good, my daughter, that you go out with his young women, lest in another field you be assaulted. So she kept close to the young women of Boaz, gleaning until the end of the barley and wheat harvests, and she lived with her mother-in-law. The word of God for the people of God. You may be seated.
Good morning, everyone. Merry Christmas, almost. Um, please open your Bibles to Ruth chapter 2. As we get started, I just want to take a second and thank Ashley, who's done a magnificent job with our children's ministry and put in a lot of hard work. She, you require a round of applause with every... Yeah, right. No. Um, that is that is appropriate to applause um, because she put in a lot of hard work in helping Witsit and helping these families and giving the church a really sweet opportunity to serve. And so uh, thank you, Ashley, and thank you, everyone who volunteered and gave of your... I know we, we, we know as a staff your time is really precious and you can spend your time doing a lot of different things. So anytime you spend it uh, working and helping and serving Flat Rock or Witsit or the community, we recognize that that's really precious. So we're praising God for that, and uh, it was a really sweet time. It was good to come and see um, everyone gathered together around a common purpose of serving and loving the community. And that's really uh, how we can make the gospel known and how we can show people that we are there. We are their advocates. So thank you all very much. Um, Frankie, who wrote the Sweet Comfort song? Is Frankie in here? Uh, it's a Sandra McCracken song. It's a really good song. Um, and it fits perfectly. Your song choices are just like magnificent. They're always perfect. So thank you for that. Uh, we, um, this is me. Just, I just want to brag on the staff for a, a little bit. Um, we are talking about in Ruth 2 this, this really this sweet comfort, if you will, that God is offering um, someone who is in a, that song talked about being in a dark place and being brought into uh, the light of God's goodness and his grace and his comfort. And that's really what we're seeing here with Ruth. Her and her mother-in-law, Naomi, have gone off into enemy territory, leaving a famine that's going on in Israel, thinking that um, Naomi and her husband thought that they could go to a place where God had forbid them to go into enemy territory, their Israel's sworn enemies, into the land of Moab to find uh, their satisfaction, to find hope in the midst of their great need, light in the midst of their great darkness. This famine plagued the land and everything was going awry. They went to make things happen for themselves, to manage their, their pain and their suffering. And they found in that place only death. And so as Naomi and Ruth are coming back, there's nothing left for them back home, they think. Um, they're coming back broken and beaten and uh, beat up by life. They're coming back despairing. As we talked about, Naomi has literally been so overcome by her um, by her bitterness that she's literally defined by it as she changes her name to this name Mara that means bitterness. Um, she's full of resentment towards the Lord. She's in a place of great pain, and yet there's this foreigner, Ruth, who is brought into a place of great faith as she follows her mother-in-law home, almost in an annoying manner as Naomi's trying to get her to go back to her people because she thinks that would be better. And she knows if she comes back, everyone's going to not only have a hard enough time accepting Naomi for who she is, but then she's bringing this foreigner, this enemy, back into the, to the camp, into the tribe. And she knows it's going to be really difficult. But Ruth, in her faith, she's been brought to faith miraculously, miraculously by the grace of God, even through great suffering. They're walking back into this camp. And really what I want to talk about today is where we find that sweet comfort. That's really what this passage is about. There's only one source for us to find the comfort that our hearts and our souls so desperately need as human beings. And it's important that we go to the right source in the right place in faith, in active faith, as Ruth shows us here. So let me pray, and then we'll, we'll start. Lord, I do thank you that um, this is a story that really acts as sunshine penetrating the cloudy darkness or the storm. It's a chapter full of hope meant to teach us where we're meant to find our true and lasting joy and peace and assurance 
in satisfaction, for those who are living in dissatisfaction, for those who have been trying to find our comfort in foreign places, in places we weren't meant to go for it, may we be reoriented back home to the place where you are as our Redeemer, as our Savior, as our King. Lord, I thank you that we can always return home. No one can out your grace in this room. It would be arrogant to think so. So, Father, we come back as prodigals. Lord, for those who've been walking in obedience, who've been living in the joy of the kingdom, in relationship with you, who've been sharing that, may they continue to share where home is, to point others back to the place of our comfort and satisfaction. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So the title of our sermon today is a a little bit of a strange title. Uh, It's, Are You Gleaning in the Right Field? Are You Gleaning in the Right Field? Um, I was sitting with uh, Colleen, and we were talking about the book of Ruth, and that's the question she asked me this week. Do you know what it means to glean? And I kind of gave an answer, but I wasn't really sure. And I was like, that's a great question to answer in this passage. What does it mean to glean? So we're just going to answer three simple questions. What does it mean to glean? Where should you glean? And what should you do with what you glean? (laughs) Um, Okay, what does it mean to glean? Look at verses 1 through 3. According to Webster's Dictionary, it means to collect or gather. And in this instance, it's collecting or gathering the leftovers that by Levitical law, farmers had to leave for the poor. So, They'd gone from famine, right? They'd been reeling for years. Now they're experiencing this bountiful and amazing harvest. So everyone's excited. Everyone's back on the same page with God is providing for us and and all this stuff. And so there's this harvest being reaped. And Ruth and Naomi come back. They left when it was in famine. They're coming back in harvest. And so in order to feed themselves, because they're in a very desperate situation, okay? There's no men to provide for them. So as women, they had to go work the fields. They had to go take matters into their own hands, literally to have enough food to survive. And so they go out to, this, to these fields to reap the leftovers that are left for the poor. So in order to reap these leftovers, you had to admit publicly, this is who I am. I am a poor, needy beggar who deserves the scraps. And that's where they've gone out to try and survive. Very humbling situation for Ruth and Naomi. But here's what's really interesting. Naomi is the Israelite. She is the one who grew up understanding the the law of God, the teachings of God. And yet... She's the one who stays home. Ruth, the enemy, the foreigner who's come back into Israel, is the one who goes out at great personal risk. She's the one who goes out in faith, trusting that this God who she just has established a relationship with, she's a brand new convert, right? We talked about her conversion. Your God will be my God. Your people will be my people. I will die with you, is what she tells me. She pledges her allegiance to, this, to, to a foreigner to a new tribe and a new people and a new way of doing life. And she goes out in faith into these fields at great personal risk because women were often mistreated if they were going out into these fields, especially if the landowner was, was not a very good person, if, it was just, if he was a slave driver, for instance. 
And so she would go into these different fields and she may be treated really poorly in some of the other fields. And stuff may be taken from her. And she goes with a really bad reputation. The gossip in the community has already been sown. So not only is she Ruth, she's known as the Moabite. She's known as the enemy. So wherever, whatever field she goes to, she goes with that label. She goes known as that. That is her identity. That's how she's received in this community of God's people. With judgment, with contempt. And they wouldn't want her reaping. She's, she's no better than a dog. Right? We talked about Robert a couple of weeks ago. We talked about the Syrophoenician woman getting the crumbs from the table. This is the same thing. But she knows even the crumbs from the table, even the, even the leftovers in, in, the, in the right field from the right Redeemer is more than enough. That's what she trusts in. And I don't think she goes merely for the sake of survival. I think she goes out in faith. I think in a lot of ways, she's putting God to the test to see if He will provide. New relationship with God. She's excited when, when people... You know, you see people usually most excited about their relationship with Jesus when they first come to know Him, and their faith is on fire, and they're excited to see what God is going to do, and they take great personal risk in evangelizing and sharing their faith and participating in the church and the things of the people of God. Ruth's excited. She wants to fan the flame of her faith. What better way than to go out in her desperation and see that God provide for them to literally be able to eat and live? Proverbs. 16.9 reminded of this verse, a familiar verse. The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord directs his steps. So this is a plan that Ruth and Naomi have come up, really Ruth has come up with, to manage their suffering, to find comfort in the midst of their discomfort. And as they make this plan, not sure if it will even work, it is God who is directing their steps, as we'll see in just a second. One of the major themes of this particular passage is really to highlight Ruth's faith. Her faith versus Naomi's faith. Her faith is active. Although the outcomes are unsure, she is fully believing that God will provide perfectly for her. Where Naomi stays at home, she's passive in her faith. She's still full of bitterness. Why would Naomi stay home? If, if Ruth is going out at great personal risk, if she knows she's going out with the reputation that she has, that she's probably not even going to have a chance to get the scraps from the table. Why wouldn't she go and support her? Ruth has just pledged her life to Naomi until death. Why doesn't Naomi see it necessary to go and just be with her, to offer protection, to explain to people who she is? It's pretty cruel and insensitive for her to just stay at home. And she's supposed to be the woman of faith. So Ruth tells Naomi that she thinks the best plan for them would be for Ruth to go from field to field, gleaning the leftovers from the harvest. And she's putting God to the test. And I think, I think as I thought about the application for us is, what are the best areas for you to put God to the test? And I mean that in a good way. Um, to see that God will provide for you. And I, the, th- the three things that really came to mind um, were your giving. That, that was one. Uh, that you give generously to those who are in need and to the poor, to the church, trusting that God will provide for you, that he will bring you a sweet reward because of the sacrificial giving that you're doing. Now, we don't try to do it to manipulate God to get a new car or a brand new house. We do it to get to the rewards of the kingdom, 
love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the rewards we're seeking after as God's people. A very different reward than the world is seeking after. We're not seeking after material prosperity. We're seeking after deep soul satisfaction. We're seeking after lasting perspective on life. We're seeking after love that we can share with our community. Those are the rewards as we give. We trust that God will provide for us. And we trust that He will provide materially as well. Um, Another way is in our obedience. Do you really believe in offering the gift of your holiness to your family and to your spouse or to your friends? The gift of your obedience, as you're obedient, as you walk in joy with God, you see that they'll, they'll be inspired to walk in faithfulness and obedience as well. They'll be convicted of their sin. As you walk in that, do you believe that God will actually do what he says and be your satisfaction? More than whatever it is you're choosing to go to that is false that is not where you were meant to go. Um, So in our giving, in our obedience, and then lastly in our evangelism, do you really put God to, to the test that He will provide for you if you choose to put yourself out there at great personal risk to share your faith, to tell people about the hope you have in the gospel? How often are you doing that? Where are you doing that? Are you doing that in your workplace? Are you doing that in your neighborhood? Are you doing that with, your, with the people closest to you, your own family, who are the hardest people to share with? Is your faith active or is it just passive? Because I think the church has made up a lot of, of, a lot of Naomi's. We're bitter towards God. We're not living the American dream. We're just going to stay at home. What is the church? What is this community? Do I really need it? I'm good on my own. I got a good job. I make a lot of money. Got a good family. Or maybe some of us are just so deeply ingrained and overcome by our own bitterness and loss and suffering that we that we're rendered useless and apathetic. How do we wake up from that? So again, this is risky for Ruth, to go out and glean as a single woman by herself would subject her to the abuse from others, competing for food and ridicule and judgment from the reapers and the owners. She's making herself incredibly vulnerable, which is exactly what happens when any of us chooses to put our faith into action before the, before the world. That This is the God we trust in. This is the God we worship. This is a God worthy of our praise. He's the source of all, our, all the good that we have. So she takes these steps in faith and in following him. We subject ourselves to the ridicule and the judgment of the world, and so does she. It's kind of the nature of how faith works. And if you're not really experiencing that in any way, you probably aren't, you probably don't have active faith. It's probably passive. So that should, that, we should be a little bit uncomfortable with that. Right? It's okay to squirm in our seats a little bit. I'm okay with that. Let's sit in that together. I sat in it this week. That's part of the power of the scriptures. These old sto- even these old stories are meant to b- convict us and bring us to a pace of repentance and faith. I think one thing to take note of here that's important to understand is um, God had actually made provision for women in this situation, and Naomi would have known about this. And it's in the, the, the Levitical law, and it's a law for the kins, about the kinsman redeemer. So essentially, if you had lost everything, 
even if you were a man and you had you know, lost everything, if you had bought a field and used all your money to get a home or something and that thing burned down or it was stolen through war or taken away from you and you were lost everything, there were people who were closest to you, whoever was the closest relative that you had, whether it was a brother or a, a cousin or whatever it might be, they're meant to either erase your debt if you, if you bought everything and, lost, and you lost on your investment. They would buy the field from you and give you the proceeds to help reestablish the money that you had lost. It was also meant for women in this kind of situation who didn't have anyone to provide. And so the closest relative would take them in as part of their family and provide for them in their daily means and substances. The, a kinsman redeemer is what it's known as. And that's what they were going out to look for. We need someone who's going to take care of us. So go and glean and, and gather. And when you come to the right field, that kinsman redeemer, God will reveal them to you. And you, can, you will receive, we will receive our reward for it. So that brings us to our second question. Where should you glean? Well, the, the answer is fairly obvious, I guess. But it's worth mentioning. There's one field we were all meant to find what we so desperately need, and that's the field of our Redeemer. What is the field of our Redeemer? What's well, his kingdom? It's his territory. It's what he owns. It's what he manages. God manages his kingdom. Jesus manages his kingdom. He is, he is the, the, the foreman of God's kingdom in its, in its building and in what it provides for the people and dispensing the rewards to God's people. And that's where we're meant to go. You notice Boaz, he, he identifies himself as a man of faith. So we know she's found the right field because there's this man named Boaz who greets his workers with, the Lord be with you. And they answer, the Lord bless you. So maybe she's gone to these other fields. Um, it actually would be one huge field that's split up into a bunch of different parts and different people own it. But um, in Boaz's section of this larger field, uh, Boaz, she may, she may have gone to these different fields and not heard anything like that. But Boaz is very public. He's very active in his faith. And he believes it has to do with the day-to-day work and the operations of his own, of his own um, estate. So Boaz comes to the field, he greets his workers, and he immediately takes notice of Ruth. Again, she's the Moabite. She's the foreigner. And the head servant, Boaz asks about her, and the head servant tells Boaz, she's that young Moabite woman everyone is talking about who just moved to town, who's living with her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she asked if she could glean here, and we told her that she could. And he even actually gives her some affirmation, says she's been working really hard. I think when we gather what we need most in this life from the right source and the right place, the kingdom of God in the right field, I think we should expect it to make us weary, like it makes Ruth. This is not easy. It's hard to stay in the right field. Because we're competing for thinking that if this isn't enough, do I need to go find something somewhere else? Is this, is this going to satisfy me perfectly? Do I, need, do I need to add to it with something else? Is it Jesus plus something else? I think we're constantly tempted to go to the wrong sources. Charles Spurgeon preaches a sermon on this that largely influenced this sermon because I love Spurgeon and I find myself... Uh, spending a lot of time reading his sermons, and he, he writes this, and he says it better than me. Um, he says, again, I may remark that the gleaner in her busyness has to endure much toil and fatigue. 
She returns not home till nightfall, for she desires, if the field is good, to pick up all she can in a day. And she would not like to go back unless her arms were full of the rich corn she so much desires to find. Beloved, so let it be with every believer. Let him not be afraid of a little weariness in his master's service. If the gleaning is good, the spiritual gleaner will not mind fatigue in gathering it. One says, I walk five miles every Sunday to chapel. Another says, I walk six or seven miles. Very well. If it is the gospel, it is worth it, not only walking six or seven miles, but 60 or 70 miles, for it will pay you well. The gleaner must look for some toil and trouble. He must not expect that everything will come to him very easily. We must not think that it is always the field next to our house that is to be gleaned. It may be a field at the further end of the village. If so, let us go trudging off to it that we may get our hands and arms full. If the field of God is what it says it is, if it provides the harvest our souls so long for and desire and the satisfaction, we should do whatever it takes to not only find ourselves in that place daily, but to bring others in to find that place because every other place they're going is false. There is no harvest. There's only famine. You notice that in that right field, there is great reward for Ruth. This is a principle that's kind of, it's been hard for me to really learn and understand as a Christian, but our relationship with God within his kingdom, within his economy, if you disagree with this, we can have coffee and talk about it, but it really is this, this relationship of obedience and reward. It's okay to be motivated as a Christian to desire reward from God. Now, again, you're not manipulating him to get the wrong kind of rewards, to get the right kind of reward, kingdom rewards. But it's okay to be expectant for God to bless you and provide for you and give you what you so long for and desire. Because I tend to take such a pessimistic view of, you know, I take like the total depravity thing to such an extreme that I'm just, I'm just needy sinner. I don't deserve anything, which is true. But I should also be motivated to please God with my thoughts and my actions and the things I commit myself to trusting that He will provide something better than the world will provide. It's okay to be motivated by that. And a lot of times I think, well, even if I am a bee, I'm still not going to get what I want. It's because I'm probably wanting the wrong thing. Where there was a threat of abuse and manipulation and injustice in the wrong fields... In the right field, there's a great harvest, reaping many rewards, not just for those who belong, but for this foreigner as well. And I love Boaz's words to Ruth. This is just the gospel. He says, now listen, my daughter, do do not go to glean in another field or leave this one, but keep close by to the other young women. Let your eyes be on this field. What does that mean? Let your eyes be on this field. Don't look elsewhere. You've come to the right place. You are foreigner. You are enemy. I am your redeemer. You are now called daughter. I mean, think about the identity transformation that's happening for Ruth in this very moment. Everything she took great risk at and trusting and following God, it's all being rewarded. The very nature of her identity is being changed in a moment. And that should almost bring us to tears. Let your eyes be on this field and follow these people, the people of this field. In other words, Ruth, you're not doing this alone. You showed up alone, but now you've got a whole family. Now you've got co-laborers. Don't take your eyes off of them. 
I can protect you here. When you become thirsty from the hard work and the hot sun, he tells her, go and drink and find refreshment and rest and satisfaction. This is hundreds of years before Jesus comes. And it's just telling the same story. It's a beautiful story. You know, here Ruth has been from, through hell and back, lost everything, trying to desperately support her doubting mother-in-law, working her tail off, striving, seeking, exhausted, and along comes her kinsman and redeemer to give her everything she needs that she doesn't deserve as this foreigner and this enemy. That should sound familiar to us, Christian. If that is not a familiar story to you, it could be your story today because Ruth's story is our story. It's just repeated over and over and over again throughout redemptive history. And the gospel really is for us through all the toil of life, looking for what we need in all the wrong places, beaten, bruised, full of doubt. There's a kingdom owned by a redeemer who has everything your soul needs, and you don't deserve it as a foreigner and enemy, but he can restore you into his family. Amen? Yeah, that would be a proper time to say it. Um, I'll just go fishing for him if you're not going to give him to me. I'll just make you, I'll, I'll make you say him. Um, And you notice Ruth's reaction to Boaz's mercy and provision. Why have I found favor in your eyes? That you should take notice of me, since I am a foreigner. Nothing is beyond God's sight. You do not go unnoticed. Even in your suffering, even in your famine, he notices you. Even when it seems like he's far off, he's directing you to the right field, to the right source. And he continues to say, as if that wasn't enough, All that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband has been fully told to me. I I saw, I know, I know about it. It's not left unnoticed, even in your struggle and toil, and how you left your father and your mother and your native land and came to a people that you did not know before. The Lord repay you for what you have done. There is a reward, and a full reward be given you by the Lord, under whose wings you have come to take refuge. Last question. What should we do with what we glean? So we know what gleaning is. It's gathering the scraps, even the scraps from the table. God's mercy and His grace is so abundant, His love is so abundant that even the scraps of it are plenty for us. At the right source, there's abundance and there is reward. There's fullness, there's restoration, there's new identity. There's protection. There's community. Once we receive all these rewards, once we receive this satisfaction, what do we do with it? And this is really hard for us to grasp in our American mindset. You're meant to share it. It's not just about you. It's about the community. And you know what Ruth does? She takes that, these barrels, this epith of barley, which would be like three weeks worth of barley and grain to feed them. So more, way more than just one meal. And she's given this seat at the table. She eats with her different, these different laborers. Even though she's his enemy, she's restored. She's given a seat at the table. She goes home with arms full of this barley and grain, and she shares it with Naomi. And you start to see for the first time as she shares this, Naomi starting to see the break of day. So Naomi has just been wrecked. She is the negative example all over this story until Ruth comes home with this abundance in her arms, and we start to see a complete change in Naomi as she begins to feel this encouragement for what's going on. She says, May he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living of the dead. That's the first positive thing she said. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. 
So she's celebrating this with Ruth. She's worshiping again. She recognizes in this Redeemer's field, we will find what we need. I'll find what I need. Even as you get it and I stay home and I don't deserve it because I didn't reap it, you brought it home to me. Who in your life needs what you have, what you've been given, the rewards you've been given? There's someone in your life who's like Naomi, whose faith needs restoration. And God has put you in their life providentially for that purpose. It's not meant for you to hoard it. It's not meant for you to sit on it. It's not meant for you to be passive about it. We're active in it. How many of you all are putting God to the test in relationships with other people who need that encouragement in that life? I'll close with this. Ruth has been taken from famine to harvest. And that harvest that she experiences, it's really meant to foreshadow a greater harvest that is going to happen in the book of Acts that we already talked about in Acts chapter 2, that harvest at Pentecost, when God would harvest the souls of a multitude of foreigners and enemies and make them sons and daughters of the king. Our greater kinsman redeemer, Jesus Christ, would come and remove the curse by his loving kindness and sacrifice on our behalf at his great personal cost that we might become his bride and be given an everlasting hope and inheritance that would never spoil or fade. Now, one thing that's going to happen here, spoiler alert, is Boaz, as the kinsman redeemer, he is not her closest relative. We're going to hear about that next week. So he's not really in line to even play this part. There's someone else. But if that person doesn't want that role, the only way that Boaz can acquire that position is to purchase it, to buy his right to it. And that's what we're going to see, is just as Jesus has bought the right to us, has paid in his blood for us to be his bride, so Boaz is going to do the same thing. Let's pray.